0: Blessed to have our sermon today by Mr. Matt Steele, entitled, The Hack of Salvation. Hello. I'd like to apologize if you had difficulty finding your seats today. (laughs) I feel like nobody wanted to sit in the splash zone. I'm lonely up here. <laughs> so I, um, I'm going to be using the shameless use of uh, IT technology jargon in, in my message today. As you could probably tell by the word hack, th- there are many meanings for that. But um, there's a couple of different sources of, for, for this uh, message. But uh, I would say about 22 years ago, maybe 23 years ago, maybe 24 years ago, I was siti- sitting at work and a good friend of mine, Mike Andrews, calls me and he says, hey Matt, hey Mike, how's it going? So you love me, huh? Huh? <laughs> what? Yeah, you, uh, you sent me a message It says uh, I love you. Do you guys remember the I love you virus? maybe. So this was a virus that was like really the first of a new iteration of viruses, self-propagating viruses, that were designed to clog up email servers and just fill their outboxes, you know, with all of these messages going to all of your contacts where you're embarrass- embarrassingly telling them that you left them. So all of your business contacts. All the people that you do and do not like were getting messages from you saying, I love you. So after a few seconds of panic, I go running into the server room, grab a hold of the network cable, and pull it out of the wall. I needed to stop that server from doing what it was doing. And then, took a few minutes, looked at the server, looked at the, the, the system itself, and saw there were thousands, and thousands of emails getting ready to be sent out. And we were a small company, and I'm thinking, how many times is this virus sending I love you viruses to the same contact? I mean, it was thousands and thousands of messages. It took me hours to clean up. And in the end, actually, Mike created a little tool, and he emailed it to me, and I had to plug it in long enough to get it mm-hmm. and then unplug it. And that helped me fix the problem. And so a virus, while not strictly the same as a hack, kind of does function in many ways as a hack does. So there are many different meanings of the word hack. I think we're all probably right now familiar with the, the IT meaning, aren't we? I mean, you, we hear about data breaches all the time and... Oh, thank you, credit card agency for giving out our social security number in the dark web. That's just what I wanted to have happen. So we're familiar with that. Of course, there's other versions. Um, uh, we use it to say, well, somebody can't hack it, right? They can't deal with it. They can't handle it. Um, a really bad doctor It's a hack, right? Don't go to him for the surgery. Or we can we use it as, you know, you, you take a, an axe and you hack away at something, right? A lot of different terms, uh, a lot of different meanings to this one word. But today, we commonly use it for, there's been another breach, another data breach. It's a nice way of saying, they've been hacked. And that can sometimes be individuals on a computer, connecting through the interwebs, you know, through the internet and getting all the way to your computer and depositing a nice little gift for you to click on or interact with, or for your computer to just run and you don't even know it. And then they, I don't know, share all the keystrokes that you make. When you're typing in your passwords, sending that back to a a server somewhere to be used to access your financial information, your personal information to more often than not steal money from other entities. And that can be quite ruinous for a person's life. I mean, we, we've got, we all have all these identity protection uh, insurances and services now because of that. So we're very familiar with the hack. But really, it's a simple, it's a simple thing. And a hack should not necessarily be bad. Of course, we hear about it. in in the negative sense most of the time. But a hack is uh, a term that really means that we can unlock, or insert, or add into a, a system some new functionality. Functionality that wasn't maybe there before. Sometimes it's actually even used where, have you ever heard of hacking your phone? you take off the restrictions the manufacturers put on the phone so you can <coughs> load some new tools, new software, that otherwise the manufacturer doesn't want you to have. And that is not necessarily a bad thing. It might invalidate your warranty, but you get some useful functionality. So hack is not always bad, but it often is. Today, we are facing all kinds of new hacks have you heard about the hacking of the immune system heard about that anybody heard of the COVID vaccine that was a hack of your immune system so it's it's inserting into your cells a hack to increase some functionality that wasn't there before where your own cells create the coronavirus uh the spike protein of the coronavirus to bring about immunization Uh, that that's the the theory behind it of course we're hacking a system that we know less than one percent about so i would not download that hack that's just me and i didn't and i know we all have different positions on that but it's a very new very new technology there's also researchers looking for ways to hack our brain. That sounds like a good idea. Right? Uh, even some, uh, some people that I, I admire from a scientific or business standpoint, like Elon Musk, he's trying to develop a, a brain computer connection. <laughs> I mean, imagine if you got the I love you virus downloaded in your brain. I mean, I feel like that wouldn't, be, wouldn't, wouldn't go over very well. It's like, What happened to Matt? He keeps kissing everybody. I mean, it's just not a good idea. Some systems are closed for a reason. But still, we are uh, trying to hack our immune system, trying to hack our brains, and uh, I think there's a lot of risk there. But, as I mentioned before, the, the process of hacking has not always been bad. In fact, have you ever heard of white hats? you ever heard of that term? The term in technology. It means a good hacker. And so a white hat is one that will go into a system, hack it, find its vulnerabilities, and then report it back to the people that are managing the system, and they can fix it. So that the the bad actors don't use those vulnerabilities to come in and manipulate and obtain, you know, our much uh, sought-after financial information. So there is a good hack. There's a good hacking uh, objective, and then, of course, there are bad. Now, you might be... uh, forgiven for thinking that the idea of hacking is a relatively new thing. It's really only come about with the advent of technology and with networks, with computer systems and so on. But you really would be wrong in thinking that. Because hacking started really at the very beginning of mankind. We were hacked. We were hacked when we were in the garden. We were hacked. (laughs) I, I don't know how long exactly that, you know, this talking snake had been trying to persuade Eve to eat of that forbidden fruit, but we were hacked at that moment. From the creation of the world, we were hacked. We were hacked in our functional systems, in our neurological systems. Our brains were hacked. Our hearts were hacked. Our uh, family dynamics were hacked. Our community dynamics were hacked. Our culture has been hacked from the very beginning. Secret code inserted, manipulated, put into us to bring about Functionality that wasn't there before. And what was that functionality? Well, we can find it in, Revel- uh, in Genesis, rather, chapter 3, beginning in verse 1. It was a hack that was designed to deliver a virus, if you might call it that way, a psychological, spiritual framework from which we make all of our decisions. So, what does it say? Well, the serpent was more cunning than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, has God indeed said that you shall not eat of every tree in the garden? And right there, he starts the hack. He sends out the communication, enters into Eve's brain, and she accepted the premise of the question. She accepted it and started thinking about it. But of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, uh, rather, and the woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God has said, you shall not eat it, nor shall you touch it, lest you die. And then the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die. You start to see the download of this virus oh, what! Well, great, I won't die, okay? I'm going to accept this, this hack, this virus. For God knows that in the day you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. I get a new feature. I get a download of an upgrade of a new feature, new functionality that wasn't there before. I become like God. That sounds pretty good to me. Where do I plug in? And we know the story. So this was the first hack in human history. And it was a big one. It changed the nature of our operating system. From life to death. From a trusting and open heart towards God. Trusting in his will for us trusting in his direction and guiding us in what's good and what's evil, and we replaced it with our own, our own evaluation of what is good and evil. And we becai- became an independent, disconnected, neurological, and spiritual bot. you ever heard of the word bot? It's kind of like a virus. It's this little package of code that goes around and does whatever it was designed to do, independent of other inputs, necessarily. It's not controlled or guided by that central authority. It does whatever it wants to do, whether whether it's good or bad, of its own programming. And so we became these disconnected bots running around the world, making a of thing. What kind of a mess? What kinds of consequences? Well, it's pretty obvious, right? Because within one generation, we've got murder going on. And you couldn't, you can't get any worse than that, can you? One generation, we had oppression, fighting, war, deception, cruelty, manipulation, poverty, sickness, Emotional and physical wounding. Trauma and suffering of every kind. Because of this hack. Because of this download, this virus that we've absorbed. We can cause ourselves and even those that we love much suffering, much pain. Our systems have been completely hacked. Completely altered. Altered tragic situation this is. All that beauty and all that promise and all that hope and all that that God seemingly had in store for us, we downloaded this thing, this virus, and we placed it inside of us. We had a partner. We had a deceptive partner, and that's exactly how viruses propagate or or, payloads that lead to hacking propagate. We trust the source. We click on that picture. We download that file. We open it. Because we want whatever it is that it is enticing us to do. And that's what we did. And as we try to function from this hack, we come up with all ways, all kinds of ways to solve the problem, haven't we? Solving the problem of humanity and, and our tendency to not treat one another very well, and to be hurtful and destructive to the environment. We tried political systems, societal systems, we have cultural systems, we have cultural norms, all designed to elicit the best part of our nature and try and suppress the bad parts of our nature. And we have limited success. And more often than not, we have disastrous outcomes, as we know from history. But now we're seeing something really pretty new in this man-made effort to solve our own virus infection, our own hack that we absorbed. And (laughs) it's, uh, it's a pretty extreme solution. So just a... A very simple look on uh, the interwebs. Find some articles on this. In an NBC article from 2017, the headline stated, Science Proves Kids Are Bad for Earth. Kids are bad for Earth. Morality suggests we stop having Huh, okay. And then it has a subheading. It says, we should stop pretending kids don't have an environmental and ethical consequence. Think about that for a second. This article was written by a, a Travis writer, if you want to look it up, and he goes on to say, several years ago, scientists showed that having a child, especially for the world's wealthy is one of the worst things you can do for the environment. That data was recycled this past summer in a paper showing that none of the activities most likely to reduce individual carbon footprints were widely discussed. And he goes on to equate releasing a murderer, a convicted murderer, releasing that person into the world is the same as having a baby. He says, if I release a murderer from prison, knowing full well that he intends to kill innocent people, apparently a lot of babies run around doing that, then I bear some responsibility for those deaths, even though the killer is also fully responsible. My having released him doesn't make him less responsible. He did it, but his doing it does not eliminate my responsibility either. Something similar is true, he says, I think when it comes to having children, once my daughter is an uh, autonomous agent, she will be responsible for her emissions. Well, that's true. We're definitely responsible for the human emissions in the beginning. But that doesn't negate my responsibility, he says. Moral responsibility simply isn't mathematical. And then there's another article. Uh, headline by a Josh, Joshua Rothman from The New Yorker. Um, the case for not being born. Apparently something we all should have read beforehand. Um, the case for not being born, the antinatalist. I didn't even know that was a term. You can be an antinatalist. And it's a philosopher by the name of David Benatar. And he argues it would be better if no one had ever had children again. The journalist that interviewed him, I'm not too sure where the journalist uh, really sat on this, but talking about uh, asking him questions about what he believes about this and his published works, which are popular (laughs) amongst the intellectual elite. And the you know ed- educated academics um, he doesn't allow them to ask questions about his own personal background like that somehow wouldn't influence his worldview of course it would and I imagine this gentleman's background is pretty traumatic um, it's it <laughs> it's just so Poison, isn't it? But these are being put forth as ideas about not having children, not propagating the species, reducing the amount of children that we have. And already in the West, the reproduction rate is like 1.7 babies per woman. And that's lower than necessary to maintain our population as it is now. And they're encouraging through different programs in the developing world to minimize their growth, too, and actually reduce population. And we've heard different sources for that. The last one I wanted to cite here was from a, a Cato Institute article uh, where a Chelsea Follett, um wrote this article that says, How Anti-Humanism Conquered the Left. And this was uh, as of 2019. It says, today is International Workers' Day, a holiday with socialist origins. Its name harkens back to a time when the political left was essentially devoted to the cause of human welfare. These days, however, some on the l- of the far left care less about the well-being of people than they do about making sure that people are never born at all. How did these radicals come to support a massive reduction in human population? If it's not humanity's demise, whether it is Alexandra Ocasio Cortez <coughs> questioning the morality of childbearing, a birth strike movement that encourages people to forego parenthood despite the grief that they say they feel as, as a result, or political commentator Bill Mather blithely claiming i can think I can't think of a better gift to our planet than." Uh, pumping out fewer humans to destroy it. A anthropotic, uh philosophy known as anti-natalism is going increasingly mainstream. So it's now becoming acceptable to to talk about this. For many years it was in the, the area of conspiracy theory, right? And so we're kind of almost looking to do the job of the virus for it. Aren't we? You know, you talk about the emergence of new viruses, oftentimes it kills the host, right, before it can even have a chance to propagate. And so the most successful viruses don't kill the host. They actually allow the host to get sick, pass it on, and get better, and the virus keeps propagating itself. But we're serious in some quarters of humanity about really just adopting the first option. Let's kill the host. So, we have been hacked and our efforts, such as the Voluntary Human Extinction Movement, anybody want to try that? Anybody want to sign up? I'm suggesting that they try it first, right? And then we can just kind of see how it goes from there. We'll we'll follow up with you, we promise. Yeah. So we have that. Um, We have all these ideas of reducing the population. Some of them are more friendly and just saying, not replacing ourselves. And so these are the solutions that some are putting forward to this hack that we have going on inside of us. This virus, this malicious code that has infected our system. We also have other approaches. Um, We have other versions, I guess. Have you ever heard of the term mind virus? Anybody? Anybody? So this is a new term that's being probably coined more in the conservative political sphere, but it's referring to all the gender ideology stuff, uh, LGBTQ stuff, all of these things that grab a hold of oftentimes you know uh, at-risk young people, um, traumatized young people, and planting a mind virus, just another version of the hack, it says, you're really not good enough. Or God made you wrong. Or you came out wrong. You're just wrong. You're just broken. You've been lied to. You've been manipulated. Take whichever version you want, but these are just new versions of the hack that the enemy has been self-replicating throughout history, from the beginning. So God, of course, would, from time to time, when we look at it from a historical standpoint, he would intervene into our hack system. What would some of those interventions be? Noah? Noah come to mind? Talk about trying to reboot humanity, turn it off, (laughs) and turn eight back on again, right? A reboot of humanity. That still didn't fix it. Then he sent... Confusion in the languages, let's disrupt their communication systems, let's tamper down, make them spread abroad. Something to do with our close proximity to one another, planting these mind viruses into one another. But that itself didn't solve the problem. So then he said, I know, I'm going to start my own hack. And now, of course, I don't mean to imply that he's figuring this out all along, or, you know, as he goes. He, He knew about this all along. But this is how he started the process. In Genesis chapter 12 and verse 1, it says, Now the Lord said to Abram, Get out from your country, from your family, from your father's house, to a land that I will show you. I will make you a great nation. I will bless you. I will make your name great and you shall be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and I will curse uh, him who curses you. And in you, all the families of the earth will be blessed. doesn't seem like a hack. It seems fairly innocuous. Just get this one guy, move him out from amongst the center of the population of the world at the time, put him out in the wilderness, What's that going to do? That seems fairly innocuous, doesn't it? Like many of the documents that we might click on and infect our computers with. Because it is a hack. And yet we see Israel, they develop from this man. And they eventually enter into the land of promise and they're there for four or five hundred years and they redeem the world, right? And they help undo the hack. No, they don't. So we still have this problem. We still have this virus in our programming. But there's part of what God is doing, as we know, that is in that very simple statement there, and in you, in you, all the families of the earth will be blessed. And so later we read in Isaiah chapter 9, verse 2, he said, the people who have walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwell in the land of the shadow of death upon them has the light shined. You multiplied the nation and increased its joy. They rejoice before you according to the joy of the harvest as men rejoice when they divide the spoil. For you have broken the yoke of his burden and the staff of his shoulder, the rod of his oppressor, as in the day of Midian. For every warrior's sandal from the noisy battle and the garments rolled in blood will be used for burning and fuel of fire. And I I've, I've, I've been using this scripture a lot lately. And you know, we look at this, we look at this dawning this promise that was given. And of course, we're looking at it from from a time after the promise has been fully recognized. But we are living still in a sense in darkness, in this world, in this dark world, we might even call it the dark web we 're living in this dark web of deceit and lies and the hack of the enemy we 've been programmed with dysfunction we 've been saddled with this sin virus and been struggling with it we are But if we're willing to be overwritten, if we're willing to receive the new hack, to download the new update, then we can move forward, as Isaiah says. We can celebrate, for unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government, the world will be on his shoulders, and we'll call his name Wonderful Counselor, mighty God, everlasting Father, Prince, we look for that. We look to enter into that and to live in that world relieved of the hack of the enemy. And so, from this moment onwards, we can see through Scripture that God has put in place this this hack that is going to change everything. Isaiah continues, he says, in chapter 53, he says, Who's believed our report? To whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he's going to grow up as a tender plant and a root out of dry ground. And boy, it's almost deceptive. He has no form or comeliness that we should desire him. It doesn't seem like a threat. It doesn't seem like he's going to change the world. And yet he does. God is engaging in his own hack. He says, when we see him, there will be no beauty that we should desire him. He's despised and rejected by man, a man of sorrow is acquainted with grief. And we hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised and we didn't esteem him. But he has borne our grief. He's carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities; The chastisement of our peace was on him. And by his stripes, we were healed. By those stripes, by those wounds, by that work of salvation, we receive a new hack, a new virus, a good virus. You know, this man, he entered into the world in the smallest package possible, in a little baby. Vulnerable, and just as weak as we are. And that's how viruses propagate. They look so innocent, and like they wouldn't hurt anything. But when you download this virus, it changes your world. And you you might Feel like well, I don't really like referring to Jesus or the plan of salvation as a virus, as a hack, but it's a good infection. In fact, C.S. Lewis called it a good infection. He said it this way: He said, "If we share in this kind of life, we shall also we also shall be the sons of God. We shall love the Father as He does, and the Holy Spirit will arise in us." He came to this world and became a man in order to spread to every other man the kind of life he has by what I call good infection. Every Christian is to become a little Christ. The whole purpose of becoming a Christian is simply nothing else. Joy, power, peace, and eternal life, these are the things that human beings have been longing for since the beginning of time. There are many false paths to attaining them. However, in some ways, the means to them is easy. To draw close to God and surrender to his forgiving and life-changing grace that allows us to become little Christ. Christians, download the virus. The good infection. Allow ourselves to be hacked in a good way. God has planned this all along. He has planned this hack, this good virus, this good virus, and he, it's his intention for us to absorb it and allow it to overwrite the things that we've done incorrectly in our life, to overwrite our, our perceptions of others. As we talked about today in the Bible study, to allow him to be the arbiter and the judge of good versus evil and work in letting him judge our hearts and our minds at that proper time. The Apostle Paul puts it this way in Romans chapter 8 and verse 1. He says, if we've downloaded the virus, if we have this new hack in us, There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus, who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. But I want to ask you a question. How many of you look at this scripture and think, well, I still do things wrong. I still make mistakes. I still sin. Does that mean that we're not walking in the Spirit. I only see two people shaking their heads. I wonder if there's a little place in our hearts that we just, uh, just worry. Are we, are we really secure? Have we really been redeemed? Is there really no condemnation? Because I do make mistakes. I do sin. What are we to do with this? Well, (laughs) when you get out of bed in the morning and you decide to go through your life for that day, is it your intention that every time you walk, you will fall down? No. Because what's that? It's not walking. It's, it's falling. Right? And, and you couldn't go throughout your day by just laying there either. I mean, it would be nice to have everything brought to you, all your meals, your feet massaged, and so on. But that's not how we go through life, is it? We stand on two feet, and even if we have a desk job, which is not always great for our health, We, generally speaking, operate throughout the day by walking through life. That's why it's such a a great analogy that Paul uses, right? And especially in their day, because they didn't jump into a car and drive to a place. Most people didn't have a horse and carriage to carry them around. How did they get from A to B? They walked. And so walking was a very important part of their life. And if you get lost when you're walking, that's a pretty big deal. Especially in that, in that era, in that culture. Because you need food at some point. You need water at some point. You might need shelter from the weather, from the heat or the cold. So walking to a destination was critical. So thinking about this, When Paul is saying that we are walking according to the Spirit, he's likening it to how people would walk throughout their day in that time. It was a serious thing to walk from A to B to get where you needed to go to work, to come home, to get food, to harvest, whatever it was. And along the way, On occasion, people trip up. I mean, have you ever tripped up? I seem to do that a lot more often these days, kind of walking into the wall. You know, you're going around a a corner, and it's there, it's been there for 20 years, and I clip my shoulder on it, right? We can easily trip and fall. And I think that is the context. Not to make too much of this, but that's what Paul is talking about. Our intention is to get up and walk in the Spirit every day. We don't wake up and say, I wonder how many sins I could get in today, how many times I can lust or uh, indulge my my greed or covet over things. Mm, I only got five coveting activities in yesterday. Let's go for 10. No, we, we don't do that. And when you look at the word, it really just means walking. And, it, and the intent is to walk in the Spirit. And yet, we're stuck in this body. Paul continues, he says, For the law of the Spirit of, of life in Christ Jesus has made me free from the law of sin and death. For what the law could not do in that it was weak through the flesh, God did by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh on the account of sin. He condemned sin in the flesh that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. We've been hacked with the good hack the good infection, with the good virus, and Jesus is performing something in us that condemns the sin. It's not pain-free. If we were walking in the Spirit and we did things that are of, of the flesh and we were happy about it and glad about it and enjoyed it and felt really comfortable with it being the case, then we're not walking in the Spirit. But we mourn, don't we, when we make mistakes. We feel the guilt, and maybe even are directed toward shame, and, and we should rem- remember that Jesus has taken away that shame. But failure, and tripping, and falling, and missing the mark, is not walking in the flesh. It is still being in the body that still fails. We are walking in the Spirit. We no longer have shame, or we shouldn't. Christ Jesus has and is fulfilling in us the righteous requirement of the law. Paul said that. That Jesus is working in us, bringing about that righteous requirement. He says, for those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the Spirit the things of the Spirit. For to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace because the carnal mind is enmity. It's, it's at war with God. It is not subject to the law of God, nor indeed can be. So then those who are in the flesh cannot please God. But you are not in the flesh, but in the spirit, if indeed the spirit of God dwells in you. We should not doubt this. We should feel bad when we fail, when we make mistakes, when we trip, when we fall, sometimes in very big ways. Yes, we should walk in the spirit and walk against those things. But if we have the spirit of Christ Jesus in us, Paul is basically saying it's not possible for us to walk in the flesh. That spirit is working with us. It's highlighting to us. It's showing us our mistakes. It's showing the places that we fail. We've been hacked. We've been transformed. Our perception of the world and of ourselves is being changed and it's being reordered. It's going back to what God originally intended all along, for for us to be fully integrated with him. You know, this might be a silly exercise, but if a computer was alive, I imagine when it receives a virus, or fall victim to a hack, it would probably hurt. Maybe one day we can ask AI, you know, your artificial intelligence, does it hurt when you get a virus? Do you get, you know, computer body kills? But for us we know that it hurts. It hurts when we get hacked. It hurts when we get hacked by the enemy. When we're manipulated and lied to and And when we partner with it in that manipulation, in that lie, and we we perform things in our own lives and the lives of others that just cause terrible harm and trauma and pain, I don't think we should assume that the good infection, the good hack, is just going to be easy. It's not. God is rewriting the code while we're running He's rewriting in our minds while we're operating. And we should look to see where he's working. And asking him, okay, which part of my heart now, which part of my mind, which part of my thinking, my attitudes and my judgments need some more of your hacking, some more of that rewriting of our code, changing our hearts on our minds. It won't be easy. It hurts. I did a, a kind of talked about an exercise the other day in in our, our soul care class, and it it hurts to say goodbye to coping me- mechanisms. <coughs> What's a coping mechanism? <coughs> it's something that we did to cover a pain, a sorrow, a lie, something that we've been manipulated by through life. And the coping mechanism can be what? It can be drugs. It can be alcohol. It can be food. It can be distraction. It can be anything that we make our God so that we can cope and work our way through the day. Because we've got to work our way through the day, we have to function in this world. And these coping mechanisms, they helped us isn't that weird? To think that for an alcoholic, the alcohol helped them. And yet it, it did until it became destructive. Until that hack no longer worked. And they were trying to look for another. So God is giving us a means by which we can discre- discard those broken ideas and those works of the enemy and there's deceptions, and there's lies about how to live and take on Jesus Christ and his nature. Paul continues to speak of this process, and I'll I'll conclude with this. (coughs) In Romans uh, 8, verse 12, he says, Therefore, brethren, we are debtors, not to the flesh, not to the old virus, the old hack of the enemy. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, the deeds of the flesh, you will live. For as many are led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. We are the children of God. If we have the Spirit of God, there's no question. Paul does not say, you know, and if you have the Spirit of God and you do this and you do that and you do this. He's making it clear, if we have the Spirit of God, we are the children of God. He will direct us, he will guide us, and he will judge us. And that's why Paul was so confident, right? It was, we discussed in the Bible study. I don't care if anybody judges me or doesn't judge me. He wasn't bothered by that, because he wrote this and he knew that he was a child of God. And so we can too. For as many are led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. If you did not receive the Spirit of bondage again to fear, afraid that you're redeemed or not. Maybe it didn't take. That's not true. We are the children of God. But you received the Spirit of adoption, by which you cry, Abba, Father. And the Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. And if children, the heirs, heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ, if indeed we suffer with him, that we may also be glorified together. How do we suffer with him? How do we suffer with Christ Jesus? We can't go back in time, can we? We can't climb up on that cross with him. We can't suffer with him in that way. I think there's something else going on here. I think there's another part of the hack. Because we suffer with him because he's suffering with us. We are in this together. He's dwelling in us with his spirit. Do you think that he suffers when we do? Yes. Do you think he weeps when we do? How could he not? He is connected to us in a deeply intimate way, in a way that we're still trying to understand, don't we? He suffers with us, so we suffer with him in this together for a purpose that we may also be glorified together. He's sharing his glory with us. So he's going through this life of suffering with us, physical, spiritual, emotional pain that we endure. And this is part of the hack. This is the amazing process that he's doing. He's suffering with our suffering so that he can glorify us. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. For the earnest expectation of the creation eagerly waits for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subject to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope. Because the creation itself also will be delivered from the bondage of corruption into the glorious liberty of the children of God. Now, all of these ideologies that man has come up with, this antinatalism, anti-humanism, well, the only way that we can save creation is by eliminating mankind. That is the only way to destroy creation for sure. Because God is promising us that through our deliverance, through our change, through the hack and the good infection that He's put in us. We save the planet. Him through us. We're going to save all of creation. This beautiful world that he's made for us. We're going to save it. Paul promises that. For we know that the whole creation groans and labors with birth pangs together till now. Not only that, but we also, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, Even we ourselves groan within ourselves, eagerly waiting for the adoption, the redemption of our body. For we are saved in this hope. But hope that is seen is not hope. And that is such a hard thing to understand and reconcile. Because we want our hope. We want it here, now. And Paul's saying, that's not hope. Because you have it. That would be whatever you were hoping for, the good stuff that you want. But that's not hope itself. But hope that is seen is not hope. For why does one still hope for what one sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we eagerly wait with it uh, wait for it with perseverance. This is the good infection. This is the hack of salvation. Working in us, redeeming us, cleansing us, changing us, changing our operating system, changing our code while we're functioning so that we can redeem and change the whole world. We know it's working. This is how you know it's working. Because we suffer with it. That's the promise. It is the promise, part of the promise that we will suffer with him so that we can glory